You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. When I'm done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. We'll start today with our New Testament reading, Revelation chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 15 through 19. Revelation 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Now if you'd turn with me to 1 Samuel, chapter 12. And we'll be reading verses 19 through 25. 1 Samuel, chapter 12. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask now that you would take up your word, born by your spirit, cause us to hear it, to believe it, to obey it. And God, may we find your words precious and beautiful and good. May they instruct us on what faithfulness to you looks like. May they instruct us on just what faith in you looks like. In your name we pray, amen. Charles Wesley, in writing to a fellow pastor who, upon Wesley's previous visit to hear this pastor preach, had decided that his preaching wasn't very good. Um, wrote to this pastor um, instructing him that he needed to spend more time 
reading, more time studying, more time learning about words and, 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 um, and considering uh, both what the scriptures mean um, and how to apply the scriptures faithfully to the lives of his people, um, he warns him that um, there will be a temptation in hearing these things um, for him to simply talk about how busy he is, um, to feel a sense of guilt and lack uh, because of his failure um, to preach to his own abilities and to preach faithfully um, to his congregation. Um, and in the midst of all of it, in the midst of the letter, one of my favorite lines ever written um, was written by Wesley to this young pastor. And he said simply this, Oh, begin. Um, he called this minister, um, don't, don't let your shame bog you down. Don't let your lack of time bog you down. Don't let your circumstances bog you down. Oh, simply begin. Begin to be faithful. Begin to persevere in your studies. Begin to grow as an orator and a speaker and a pastor to your people. Oh, begin. Um, the story reminds me of uh, a few months ago when I visited the dentist. Um, I, if you are a dentist, apologize for what I'm about to say. I don't like dentists. Close to saying I hate them. Like as a class of person. Um, you go there, they tell you how bad your teeth are, implying how bad you are. They always cause pain. They do the thing they've told you not to do, like don't put sharp metal objects in your mouth. Immediately they put sharp metal objects in your mouth. Sometimes they put stuff in your mouth to make you gag. I think just for their own giggles, um, I don't like dentists. And so sometimes, particularly when certain circumstances prevent me from going to the dentist, like, I don't know, worldwide pandemic, um, and just life, and just any excuse I need to come up with not to go see the dentist, sometimes it be a little bit of time. I'm not going to get that vulnerable with you, but a little bit of time between dental visits, not seeing the normal checkups. And a few months ago, went to see a dentist, very nice dentist, still detested her, um, although no fault of her own. She went, we were talking about there at the beginning of the appointment, as they all do, trying to heap shame on your patients, asking when was the last time you went to the dentist? To which I responded, I have no idea. It's been years. Not that it's really been, I mean, I don't judge me. Um, to which she responded, it's okay, you're here now. Which almost won me over, deceptive creatures. Almost won me over. But, but there was in that idea, and I thought of it this morning, as I was thinking about this story, was considering again that I was going to tell this story about Wesley, that there is something profoundly, and I would believe uniquely Christian, about what this dentist said. About this call to like, um, your, your past does not determine where you are right now. Um, the, the fact that God holds all of our futures in his hands does not simply determine what happens right now. There is, at the heart of the gospel, a call that says, oh, but you're here now, and let's begin. Um, we're going to look at today, um, following the great victory of Saul last week, um, a speech 
given by Samuel. It might say in your Bible, Samuel's farewell address. I have no idea why any Bible titles it Samuel's farewell address, since this is not Samuel's farewell address. He's going to be with Israel and Saul for the next 20 years. Um, after this, he's going to be very prominent in the book of Samuel. Um, this is instead, I would call it a sermon. A sermon preached to Israel um, at precisely at the moment that the kingdom has been restored, worship has been restored, um, the, the, the unity of God's people has been restored. They've won a great victory against the serpent. All of this is unfolded. And now Samuel calls them all together to give them a sermon. But it's a sermon that's actually framed very uniquely. You see, it's a trial. I mean, it is a trial where Samuel will call witnesses. And those witnesses will be the people to testify to, to some truths, some things. And in testifying to them, he's calling God to witness against them. What we have here is a sermon whose goal is repentance, whose goal is, oh, begin. So I want us to walk through this sermon. I want to set up a little bit of where we've been and where we find ourselves in the narrative arc of Samuel And then we're going to look at how this sermon is broken down, paying particularly close attention to the glory and the good news of verses 18 to 25. But first, where have we been? You remember that Israel, when we started Samuel, was in darkness. Israel is in rebellion. Um, we, We begin Samuel where Judges ends, and Judges ends with the call that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Um. Jenny and I were talking last night and an observation I made about that text. Um, it's interesting to me to, to live in a day and age where everyone says, I believe that people are fundamentally good. How is it we can say that? Well, I don't think it's, it's because everyone does what is evil in their own eyes. I think it's precisely because everyone does what is right in their own eyes. In other words, in a world where um, an absolute standard of righteousness and goodness has been dismissed or lost, what's left with, what we're left with is a society of people seeking merely to do what they think is good. Um, In other words, no one sets out, whether it's Hitler or, or whomever you can come up with. No one sets out to do evil. No one says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to do horrific and evil things. <laughs> like, uh, I just thought of a character and forgot his name. Like Gru. Nobody sets out to say, you know what, today my greatest goal is to do something horrific and awful and evil. Well, they all set out to say, you know, today what I'm going to do is something good. And where people differ is how they define the standard of goodness. And where we find Israel at the beginning of 1 Samuel is precisely in that place. They set out to do what they believed was good. Not subject to the law of God. Not subject to how God defines goodness and fruitfulness and righteousness and love and justice. But merely setting out to do what was right according to their own heart. According to their own desires. 
find that the, the worship of Yahweh has fallen to pieces. People aren't gathering to worship God. Prayer has all but ceased in the tabernacle. Then God, through the prayers of a mother named Hannah, sends Samuel. And the word of the Lord returns to Israel. I mean, Israel begins to defeat their enemies, even as God def- begins to defeat their enemies. Um, and then we arrive at this point in chapter 9, where Israel demands from Samuel that God give them a king like the other nations. Samuel warns them, this will be disastrous for you. This king will oppress you. This king will be a tyrant. This king will tax you. This king will take you as his slaves. This king will mislead you. This king will misguide you. This king will not lead you in faithfulness to God. And Israel would have none of it. They said, no, give us a king like the other nations. So Samuel is led to Saul. The selection of Saul to be king is confirmed by God, confirmed by Samuel, confirmed by Lot with the people. Where were we last week? Saul, Samuel, the people of Israel go to war with Nahash, the serpent. In the face of this dragon, this serpent, this king, God gives them a victory over this king. And we ended last week, the people coming together after that conquering of the serpent, establishing Saul as king, worshiping before the Lord, and the people being filled with joy. So what happens now in chapter 12 Samuel stands up in the midst of all of this joy, all of this good news, um, all of this situation, and he preaches to them. He preaches them to a, a sermon about where they actually are, where they stand now. Sermon can be broken down into three points. It's a three point sermon. Maybe in Hebrew there's some sort of alliteration. I didn't look. But, three-point sermon. First, he calls the people to testify to his own faithfulness as their judge. Did I oppress you? Did I take things from you? Did I subvert justice by taking a bribe? In other words, was the cause of you asking for a king like the other nations, was the cause of you doing this great evil, was it my own faithfulness, my corruptness, my injustice, my oppression or tyranny of you as a people, as your judge sent by God? Please notice what the people say. Verse four, they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed 
King Saul, is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. It begins by stating, you have chosen something evil that's now been established. A king like the other nations. Did you do this evil? Are you in this situation because I was evil? Are you in the the circumstances that you've chosen for yourself in this moment? Um, Is that uh, 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 was that caused by me? Was that caused by my defrauding you or my unfaithfulness? Did, did, were you um, faced with my authority um, sent by God? Did you believe, um, did, did you ex- um, was your experience, was I actually violating God's law, bribing you, oppressing you, subverting justice such that you were forced into these circumstances that you chose uh, because you had to get away from tyrant Samuel? People's answer is no. You never defrauded us. You didn't oppress us. You didn't take bribes. You didn't steal from us. None of that's true. You didn't take anything from us. You were a just judge. Then Samuel turns and says, The Lord is my witness. And he then gives a testimony to God's faithfulness through the ages by in the face of Israel in trouble, of Israel being oppressed or threatened by external enemies, Um, mostly, most of the time because of their own doing. But in the face of that, has God ever been unfaithful to you? Has God ever not showed up? Um, he, he then rehearses a pattern established with Moses and then it repeats itself um, th- throughout the history of the judges. And it is simply that this repeated history of Israel, repeated history of the people of God. Um, that history, that pattern, it's just this. That they neglect God's law, they turn away from faithfulness to God. They worship idols. In worshiping those idols, God then brings judgment against them. He brings judgment against them as he does over and over again in history. By the way, this isn't an Old Testament concept. It's the New Testament as well. We see it, for instance, in the book of Revelation as... um, uh, the uh, God brings plagues against the peoples of the earth. And then there's this odd line from, from John, the author, who says, and yet they still didn't repent. And there's tied there that the reason for the plagues, the reason for the oppression, um, the reason for the trouble um, that God allows and even dictates and brings upon the peoples of the earth um, is not just like he's mad. Rather, he wants them to see the consequences of their sin, that they might repent and turn back to God. So God in Israel's history, as they turn away from him, as they neglect his law, as they refuse to worship him, to fear him above all else, they turn to false gods. So he leads them to have to serve those false gods um, as oppressors and other nations come against them. Then in the midst of their pain, 
They fall on their face and they cry out to God. And Samuel's essential second point in his sermon is, has God ever not answered you? Has he ever not raised up someone to fight on your behalf? That when you return to the Lord, that the Lord doesn't cause someone, raise someone up to, to go to war with those who, dis, who oppress you um, and those who enslave you. And so, for verses 6 through 11, we see how God has again and again and again and again been faithful to his people. So the question then is, in the midst of that, the implicit question in this, in this section, are you in these circumstances, these evil circumstances in which you have chosen a king like the other nations and rejected the Lord as your king? Are you in these circumstances because God has been unfaithful? Has God ever failed to rescue you? to lead you, to restore you. No. Over and over and over again, God has redeemed you and rescued you and proven himself faithful and good. So in verses 12 and 13, he describes the rebellion and we get here an added detail kind of fueling their motive for why they wanted king like the other nations. Look at verse 12. When you saw that Nahash, serpent, the serpent king of the Ammonites come against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now behold the king whom you have chosen for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So despite God's faithfulness, despite his endless long-suffering and mercy, despite the fact that he, he gave you me as a judge, Samuel as a judge, and judge was, um, Samuel was never unfaithful. He never oppressed the people. He didn't force them to these circumstances, and God hadn't like dropped the ball. He hadn't proven himself unfaithful um, such that they would go and go like, well, we can't really trust God anymore. And Samuel, he's wicked and a tyrant. Um, Therefore, we need to find for ourselves some other form of government, somebody else to lead over us. We must go chase after our own ruler. No, he says, at the end of the day, you've seen nothing but a track record of the faithfulness of God, the persevering, steadfast love of God over and over and over and over again through the whole history you as a nation and then you saw the serpent and you rejected God as your king to have for yourself another king another rescuer someone else to fight for you someone else for you to trust in then In verse verse 14, there's a surprising word spoken to Israel, spoken to us. Listen. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice 
and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now what's this all about? Samuel wants them. In fact, it is absolutely essential that they see the wickedness of their behavior. What have they done to arrive here? For all the good things that God intends to give them, he, the, 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 the very first step is they must acknowledge their own sin. They must acknowledge their own wickedness. And so, he sins during the dry season a thunderstorm. The season where there's not supposed to be rain. Samuel declares it, calls upon the Lord, and the Lord sends a storm. The result was the people saw this, and they feared the Lord, and they feared Samuel. And fearing the Lord, and fearing Samuel, and being afraid, and recognizing the wickedness that they had done, they then turn to Samuel and say this, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. There's a process here. A preacher is sent. The preacher explains to them powerfully their particular circumstances before God. Declares to them in the format of a trial that they stand guilty before the God of the universe. And the response of the people is to fear, to tremble, to plead with this preacher to pray for them to plead with Samuel that he would pray for them. Samuel commands them in the midst of their disobedience, fear the Lord, serve him. And I would say in the juxtaposition of these two realities, one, their absolute guilt before the Lord. Two, even in the midst of that guilt, this strange call from Samuel, fear the Lord, serve him. We have the the precise place where we should stop and marvel and consider together what God is like 
and worship him. You might look at Israel's situation. They're promised by Samuel, here's the destruction that is going to be wrought from you doing this evil and asking for a king like the other nations. You might look at that and say, well, they're doomed. They're just stuck. You might look at their past. Um, the past that's explained for us in detail here by Samuel and say, here's a people that had a good, faithful God who'd been faithful to them even in the, in the face of their sin, even in the fa- face of their faithlessness. God had shown up again and again and again to rescue them, to redeem them, to free them from that which would destroy them. And they rejected him as their king. They rejected him as their Lord and had chosen for themselves a king like the other nations. Had had rejected God, had rejected the one who had restored to them the word of the Lord, Samuel. And had said, no, instead, give me a king like this. This is who we'll trust in. And so you might look at the past, that decision and say, well, how, is, how are they ever going to walk in fruitfulness? How are they ever going to walk in righteousness? And yet right in the midst of describing that reality precisely, Samuel commands them, fear the Lord and serve him. Even now, in this whole new set of circumstances, he doesn't tell them, get rid of your king. He doesn't tell them, like, now we have to try to figure out how to go backwards and undo this mistake and undo this rebellion. He says, no, right here, today, fear the Lord, serve him. This is the gospel. See, I don't know where you are right now. I know that some of you really made a mess of things. You've made a mess of your marriage. You've made a mess of raising your kids. You've neglected the Lord. Maybe, maybe today you're here and I don't know you at all. And, and this is your first Sunday in a church in a really long time because you've spent years possibly rejecting God and kind of living however you want to, however you want to live. Um, and you came here maybe because we have bagels and you really like bagels. You must really like bagels to sit through this. Like, I don't know all of the circumstances in your past, how many things you've blown up, how many things you've screwed up in your life, all the ways you've been, in, you've, you've been unfaithful to him, you haven't followed him, you've screwed up everything. And God promised you, hey, um, if, you, if you go down this route, it's going to go poorly for you. You go down this route, things are going to unravel in your lives. And you find yourself right here in this moment feeling hopeless, believing that your whole life is determined by that sin and by that rebellion. And right in the middle of it, Samuel says, oh, only today fear the Lord. Serve him. All will be well. Fear the Lord. Serve Him. Obey His commandments. And all will be well.
And Israel demonstrates for us in these verses exactly how we're to respond when we're called to repentance. Exactly how we're to respond when we're called out in our sin. To fear the Lord, to tremble, to come face to face with the realities and the horror of his judgments. Fall on your face and to plead for mercy. The point is today. You're sitting in this room right now. And the call from God is not, hey, let's figure out how to get your life back on track. Let's do it. Be more disciplined this time. The call from God is not, and you screwed things up so badly, there's really no hope for your life to go well. The call from God is not, don't worry, I'm going to work things out in the end however I want to anyway. Therefore, don't even think about today. No, the call of God is today, fear the Lord and serve him. The call from God is today, repent of your sins, plead with him for mercy. The call of God today is abandon all of the things that you've put your hope and your trust in. Um, and today, fear the Lord, serve him. There is something marvelous in this miracle that takes place. It's not just like a, a random act of power. It's, it's a dry season, nobody expects storms. Samuel asks God to send thunder and rain and God sends thunder and rain is that this is the season of dryness. This is the season um, that's not supposed to produce life. Um, The life's already been produced. It's already there. Um, You you seem to be stuck with this decision. There's not going to be rain that falls during this season. And yet um, Samuel prays for the people. He prays to the Lord and the Lord sends rain. In other words, you as a people have rejected the Lord, you've rejected his ways, you've refused to worship him, and you find yourself now stuck in a situation you cannot get out of, a situation that, um, I warned you, is going to go badly, and it will. (laughs) Yet even in this dryness, even when there's no life-giving water, even now, even here, God can bring water. Even here, God can come and bring life. So in verse 22, actually start, start in verse 20. In response to the people naming their own sins, taking responsibility for their own sins, their own rebellion against God, 
He says this, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things, idols, that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. What must he be like. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you've walked into this room, having made decades of wicked decisions to rebel against the God who made you and owns you, if you walk into this room preceded by decades of hatred for him and rebellion against him, what kind of God must he be that he says to you, even now, fear me, serve me, follow me with all your heart? This is what's offered in the gospel. Our Father, even in the midst of a history, a wicked history of unfaithful kings, takes that history and right in the middle of it raises up a king named Jesus, the one who was promised to come. And, and here in Jesus, the God who Israel rejected as their king, who the people of God rejected as their king, he comes and is established as their king forever and ever and ever. And this king dies on behalf of his people. This king bears all of your sins, every single one of them. All of those decades of rebellion, decades of doing whatever is right in your own eyes, decades of just living how you want to live, all that, that preceded you into this room. The glory is Jesus Christ, the King, um, the King who is better than Saul, the King who is a true and better David. This King comes and he dies on the cross for your sins. And the call is to look at that cross and to fear the Lord and serve him all of your hearts and though your rebellion your faithlessness your lies your lusts your greed your pride has left you barren and dry oh a storm will come Reign in the mighty blessing of God upon a people who have been cleansed by him and chosen by him because he was pleased 
set his steadfast love on you. And so the call is today. Not tomorrow. And not 20 years ago when you rejected it. But today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Fall on your face. Fear him. Serve him with all your hearts. Let's pray in prayer for communion. So Father, we come to this table. This table where with bread and wine we are joined to the the body and the blood of Jesus. We find ourselves bound to a king king who bleeds for his people, a king who washes his people, a king who redeems his people from slavery, sets sets before them the covenant promise that he will do them good. So Lord, may we by faith believe as we eat this bread, we are bound up and united with the body of Jesus. May we by faith as we drink this cup Believe that his blood has washed, for, has atoned for all of our sins and cleansed us of all unrighteousness. In your name we pray, amen.